Well, let's turn in our Bibles now to the book of Romans, and we'll be in Romans chapter 16 this morning. And I want to start by acknowledging, first of all, those of us who are Christians, we believe that all Scripture comes from God. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is breathed out by God or given by inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, and for training in righteousness, the Bible says. And yet we have to acknowledge that we all believe, right, that the Bible is all God's Word and that all of it is profitable. There are parts of the Bible that we have a hard time finding profitable. We know that it's profitable because God tells us that it is. But there are certain passages of the Bible that we know when we sit down to read them or when a pastor opens up to them for a sermon text in church. We know there's, there's part of us that says, I just don't know what I'm going to be able to get out of this. What is this going to teach me? How is this going to help me? How is this going to be profitable for me? I know that it is, but I just have a hard time knowing how it is. For example, maybe uh, a, a genealogy in the Old Testament, right? Or a long section in the law describing how to perform a certain sacrifice or the descriptions about the construction of the tabernacle or the temple. You know it's God's word and you know it's important, but if you sit down to do your Bible reading sometime during the day and that's where your Bible plan has led you for that morning, you just... There's something in you that just goes, I just don't know how much I'm going to be able to get out of this. Now, why is that? Why is it that there are certain passages of Scripture that we have difficulty getting something out of? Part of the problem that we have with those passages is there's so much detail in them that we don't think is relevant to our lives. Right, so, if, for example, if you're reading in Leviticus a long description about how to perform a certain sacrifice, you think, well, I'm never going to offer that sacrifice. I'm grateful that I don't have to. And so it's hard for me to really pay attention to all the details and read the whole chapter or two or three or whatever it may be describing this sacrifice because all the details don't feel relevant. I don't know what I can get out of them because I don't have to offer this sacrifice. Or you're reading the description of how the tabernacle is supposed to be built. And you're reading dimensions and descriptions of, you know, how it's this piece of furniture for the tabernacle is supposed to be fashioned. And you've never seen it. And you'll never have to build it or use it. And so it's difficult to focus on those details. Right? This morning, we're going to look at a passage that is difficult to see how it's profitable. And one of the reasons why is because it's full of details that don't seem immediately relevant to us. It's Paul's final greetings in Romans chapter 16, and it's full of a bunch of names of people you've never met, names that don't sound familiar, right? And uh, it's hard to know what to do with it. But I hope you will see uh, through this sermon this morning that there are several ways we can 
profit from this passage. There are several insights, there are several profitable truths that we can glean from these greetings. So, I've called this sermon, Gleanings from Greetings, for a couple of reasons. One reason is, we're not going to go verse by verse and line by line through these greetings and talk about every person and everything that's said of them. Instead, we're going to look at sort of the big picture and and see some basic truths uh, that we can glean from this passage. The other reason why I'm calling it Gleanings from Greetings, there's an old author named A.W. Pink and some of his studies that he wrote, he collected them and would call them things like Gleanings from Genesis or Gleanings from Elijah. I really like that title, so I just decided to borrow it for this morning. Uh, And so Gleanings from Greetings is what we're doing today. In Romans chapter 16, I'm going to read verses 1 to 16, and then we're going to skip down to verses 21 to 23. So here's what Paul says here at the end of Romans. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centraei, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. And then skipping down to verse 21. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus, greet you. Okay, so what can we glean from a passage like that? How do those greetings profit us? We should start by thinking about the fact that Paul has written what is arguably the most significant letter in the entire New Testament. It is only 16 chapters long, and almost an entire chapter is devoted to exchanging greetings between the church at Rome and the church that Paul is writing from. For Paul to spend that much time on greetings must mean that they're significant. So what is Paul teaching us? What is God teaching us through Paul through these greetings? Well, first of all, we just need to acknowledge the importance 
of greeting people. The importance of greetings. Greetings are a baseline of kindness. If you can't say hello to somebody or say good morning to somebody, you're probably not going to do anything more kind, more generous, more gracious than that. Because saying hello to somebody, greeting someone, is pretty easy. right? It's a, it's a baseline of kindness. That's why Jesus, when he was teaching us about loving our enemies in Matthew chapter 5, he said, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? In other words, Gentiles greet their friends, right? Pagans greet the people that they like. Everybody does that, Jesus is saying. But what I'm calling you to do is to greet even your enemies. Greet even those you don't like. Greet even those who don't like you. But greetings, right, are a a baseline of kindness that all people do. And those of us who are brothers and sisters in Christ, we ought to be able, at a minimum, right, to greet each other. To show kindness by saying hello, by saying good morning. By the way, young people, when your parents tell you, when somebody speaks to you or, or greets you, you need to look them in the eye and say hello, say good morning. This is why. It's, it's baseline kindness. It's a fundamental right, part of showing grace, showing respect, showing kindness to somebody. So greetings are important right, because it's a basic kindness that you can show to other people. And greetings reinforce bonds of fellowship. Right? They reinforce our connection to one another. Now, most of us, if you, if, like, if you go to town, you go to the grocery store, or the hardware store, or whatever, most of us probably don't say hello to every single person that we pass in the store. But if you pass somebody that you know, you say hello, you maybe even stop and talk. And every time you do that, right, one of the things you're doing is you're reinforcing the fact that you know each other. You have a relationship with each other. You care for each other. I acknowledge you. You're a friend. You're a fellow church member. You're a neighbor. Every time we greet somebody, it's acknowledging and reinforcing the fact that we have some kind of connection. Think about how you feel whenever you bump into a friend at the store or somebody greets you on your way into church. It reminds us that we're not alone, that we have people who care about us and who love us. It's a really, really basic thing. But that does not make it unimportant. It's very important. So Paul reminds us of the importance of greetings. He also reminds us through all these greetings of the importance of people. The importance of people. Now, Paul, I don't know how you normally think about Paul, right? But you might normally think about Paul as, you know, he's a missionary, he's a church planner, he's a go-getter, a go-doer, he's always on the move, he's always going to the next town, it seems like. He's writing these dense, theologically rich letters all the time and telling people, reminding them what they need to believe and reminding them what they need to do and what they're not supposed to do. And sometimes we think that people like that are so busy with their thoughts and their deeds that they don't really care about people very much. They're just trying to get stuff done. But that's not how Paul was. Notice that Paul mentions by name at least 
25 people here in Romans chapter 16. And he's never even been to Rome. These are people that somehow or another he has met, become connected with, or heard about who are currently in Rome that Paul wants to say hello to because he somehow knows them, right? And he cares about them enough to send his greetings to them as he sends this letter to Rome, right? All of us have been around people like that, people like Paul who make us feel valuable and important and significant because they remember our name, maybe even we think they wouldn't have any reason to, I can't believe that guy remembers who I am. I only met him once. Right? He's a busy guy. And all, he's traveling all over the world doing all kinds of things. And I just you know, bumped into him once, introduced myself. And then I, the second time I bumped into him, he remembered who I was. You, people like that remind you that you're important. Because each one of us is important. Each one of us is made in the image of God. Each one of us is important to God. And when another human being values us and recognizes that we're important and remembers our name and says hello to us, that reminds us of what God says is true, that people are important. And one of the reasons why we should strive to remember people's names, though we're not all good at it, right? And say hello to people and treat people with dignity and respect is to remind them that they're important, not only to us, but they're important to God. So, Paul reminds us of the importance of greetings. He reminds us of the importance of people. He also reminds us of the importance of recognizing people. Recognizing people for what they have done. Now, as Christians, we know that we are not supposed to do our good works in order to draw attention to ourselves so that people will praise us. Right? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And he mentions people who you know, pray in public in order to be seen by others. And they fast in such a way that everyone can tell they're fasting. You know, they look sour and mopey, I guess. And, oh, oh, are you... They won't be able to say, oh, are you, are you fasting? You know, you must be suffering. So, you know, they, they want attention. They want, praise. they want praise for their fasting, for their prayers, for their giving of alms. You know, they want a trumpet blast in the street every time they give money to the poor so that people will look at them and go, oh, how generous he is. What a sacrificial giver he is. Jesus says, don't be like that. People who are like that don't have any reward from their Father in Heaven. They've already gotten their reward. People's you know, praise and acknowledgement, that's all the reward that they're going to get. So we know that, right? and we want to follow that instruction, and we want to be mindful of that for ourselves, that we don't try to draw attention to our prayers or our giving or whatever it is that we're doing. But that does not mean that the rest of us should not call attention to someone who's doing something good for the kingdom, for other people, that ought to be acknowledged and recognized. We can be tempted to say, well, we don't want to draw attention to what they've done, to how they served, because, you know, their reward is going to be in heaven. Well, that's true, 
But the Bible also indicates over and over again that it's good for us to recognize and acknowledge people who do good work, who do good things. For example, here in Romans chapter 16, Paul mentions multiple times people who have worked hard. Like in verse 6, he says, greet Mary who has worked hard for you. In verse 7, he says, greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. So he's got somebody who says, Mary's a hard worker. And I just want to acknowledge publicly that Mary has been diligent in serving the Lord. I also want to acknowledge publicly that Andronicus and Junia suffered imprisonment along with me. Evidently for the faith, right? For their faith in Christ. They were apparently imprisoned alongside Paul at some point. In verse 9, he says, Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. In verse 12, he says, Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Paul has no qualms about acknowledging and drawing attention to the fact that certain people have been diligent laborers in the kingdom. He doesn't spell out in every case what exactly it is that they've done. But he says they're working hard. It's the same thing in Philippians, where he talks about Epaphroditus, who he says had uh, worked hard and risked his life for the sake of Christ. And he says, honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Honor such men, he says. Draw attention, as it were. Somehow acknowledge the fact that Epaphroditus put his life on the line. Don't let him walk back into church after traveling to Paul and putting his life at risk and almost dying because of a sickness he had uh, while he was ministering to Paul. Don't let him come back to Philippi and walk back into church and act like nothing happened. And say, well, you know, his reward is in heaven. Yes, it is in heaven, but let's acknowledge it also here on earth, like Paul does. Acknowledge the, the labor, the hard work, the suffering, the hardship that your brothers and sisters in Christ have endured. Acknowledge that. That's a good thing to do. Right? When we do that, we not only honor those who deserve to be honored, but we also communicate to others around us what is honorable. That these things matter. Working hard in the kingdom matters. Serving your brothers and sisters in Christ matters. Being willing to suffer for the faith matters. We communicate to those who have done those things that their works, their labors, their sacrifices have not gone unnoticed. And that we encourage others to labor similarly. So, Paul reminds us of the importance of greetings, the importance of people, the importance of recognizing people. And then he also shows us that uh, we ought to recognize the role of women in the church in particular. And, And we should learn from Paul and from Jesus as well that the role of women in the church has been significant and uh, commendable from the very beginning, from its earliest days. The very first person 
that Paul commends here in Romans chapter 16 is a woman named Phoebe. In verse 1 he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centrae, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. Now, why does he say that? Some have suggested, and I think they're probably right, that Phoebe was probably the person who carried the letter to the Romans from Paul to Rome. She was likely the one who delivered this important epistle to the church on behalf of Paul. And that's why Paul is not greeting her, but introducing her to the church at Rome. And saying, essentially, here's this woman who's coming to you. Here's how I want you to receive her and how I want you to treat her. He says, help her in whatever way she may need from you. He says, she's been a patron of many and of myself as well. Probably meaning she had financially supported Paul's ministry as well as perhaps the ministry of others. She was a significant woman. Paul calls her a servant. It's the same word that can be translated deacon. And so there's you know, some kind of uh, uncertainty, some debate about whether or not Phoebe was a woman who was a deacon or whether she was just a woman who, has, who was a servant. Without getting into that debate, without deciding one way or the other, it's obvious that Phoebe was a significant woman in the life of Paul and in the life of the church where Paul was. And Paul trusted her to bear that letter all the way from uh, probably Corinth, that's probably where he was, Centrae, where she's from, is right next to Corinth. Um, And he trusted her to carry this letter from that place to Rome, right, and commends her to the church. So she's a significant woman. But Paul was not the first person to have women involved closely in his ministry. Uh, Jesus had a band of women who aided his ministry as well. In Luke chapter 8, we're told by Luke, he said the twelve were with him, those are the disciples, the apostles, the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. So there was a band of women who were helpful to Jesus, helpful to his ministry, provided for Jesus and his disciples. Women, of course, were the first eyewitnesses of the empty tomb. Jesus treated women with dignity and respect. One of the stories that stands out, of course, is the woman at the well in John chapter 4, who was not a Jew, right, and was a woman. And so those were two reasons Jesus, most people would think Jesus wouldn't talk to her, But he did, and he treated her with kindness, and he told her who he was, so that she might believe in him, and be saved, and have life. There are other women as well in the ministry of Paul. No surprise, given how Jesus treated women, and how women were involved in the ministry of Jesus, to find multiple women involved in the ministry of Paul. Not only Phoebe, but think of Lydia from Philippi in Acts 16. She was a a dealer in purple goods, and she's the woman that Paul encountered out by the river where they thought there might be a place of prayer, and God opened Lydia's heart to hear what was said by the Apostle Paul. Here in Romans chapter 16, after Paul talks about Phoebe, 
he mentions Prisca and Aquila. Prisca being the shortened version of Priscilla. A couple, a husband and wife, who Paul says were fellow workers, who he says in verse 4, risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. They were Paul's co-laborers. They were the ones who we read earlier in in Acts 18 that um, instructed Apollos when he needed some further instruction in the way of the Lord before he continued his ministry. So they were helpful. They were servant-hearted. They had come from Rome and then met Paul in Corinth, and now they were back at Rome. And so Paul was saying, greet Prisca and Aquila for me. I care about them. I love them. They risk their life for me. Treat them accordingly. We too are blessed in this church with godly women who are servant-hearted, who are hard workers for the kingdom, who would be high on our list of the people we would want to greet if we weren't here. We give thanks to God for every woman that God has blessed and made our sisters in Christ. Finally, Paul says, or Paul reminds us, that no church is an island. We know the famous quote, right, that no man is an island. It's also true that no church is an island. Sometimes we can feel like our church is all alone, right? We're We're going through things alone, or we're out here all alone, or whatever. But notice what Paul says all throughout these greetings. He mentions the names of all kinds of people, that he apparently has met or gotten to know somehow along the way, and they're at Rome, and Paul's not, and Paul's never been to Rome. How does he know these people? Priscilla and Aquila is the easiest example. They were from Rome. They got kicked out of Rome along with the rest of the Jews at one point, and so they went to Corinth where they bumped into Paul. Paul's traveling around. They traveled with him some, but now they're back in Rome while Paul's not. So... There's a a tie to the church at Rome with Paul and with the churches that Paul has ministered to. Probably many of these other people had traveled throughout the Roman Empire to different places and had bumped into Paul in various towns and cities, perhaps been a part of different churches that Paul had been a part of and have now gone back to Rome. If you were to open up the records of Menden Baptist Church, and read over the membership role from the last 20, 30, 40 years. What would you find? You might think, you know, small community, people stay in the same place for a really long time. I bet you have the same people on the role for 30, 40 years. Well, we're blessed to have some people who've been on the same role for 20, 30, 40 years. But we also have a lot of people who've been on the role for 1, 3, 5, 10 years. Why? Because people move. People come and go. It was the same way in Paul's day. It's the same way in big cities and small towns. People move around. People get, God says, I want you over here. I'm going to send you over here. I've got a different job for you, different church for you, different place for you. And people, people move. They come in and out of our lives. They come in and out of our churches. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. One of the things that that does is it reminds us that not just our individual local church, but the whole church is the body of Christ. 
And God arranges, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, He arranges the members of the body as He sees fit. And so, it's good for us to remember right, that we are brothers and sisters, not only of one another, but we are brothers and sisters of every other faithful church. And the brothers and sisters in that church are our brothers and sisters too. And one day they might be members of this church, or we might be members of that church, or we might both end up at another church. Because God moves His people around from time. Some of us, He puts in the same spot, and we get to stay. And that's a blessing. Some of us, He moves around. And that's a blessing. And we are reminded and encouraged, right? Again, by that fact, because it reminds us that we are not alone. No church is an island. So there's much to glean from these words of greeting. Because greetings are important. Because people are important. Because recognizing and honoring people is important. Because it's important to recognize the role of women in the church and honor them for their labor. And it's important for us to remember that our church is not an island, that we are not alone, but that we are part of the larger, moving, growing, living body of Christ. Let's give thanks in prayer.